All right, Joe, let's talk about fighting sin some more. Uh, we've been doing this for the past few weeks, trying to help train guys uh, towards how to fight back against sinful passions in their lives. And we've covered several episodes now worth of uh, rules of war for how to go about doing this. Um, today, I want to start by taking you back to college days. And uh, what, what did you get your undergrad in, Joe? I was, I was a, a university scholar. It was kind of a strange degree at Baylor. Um, That's a thing. Yeah. It, it is. It is. Uh, you wow. kind of create, create your own degree with it. So, uh, okay. I, I've yeah. never heard that one, but Hey, you went to Baylor, Sikkim Bears. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got my undergrad in uh, business management and uh, yeah, it only took me seven years, but uh, <laughs> cause I'm not that smart, but, but uh, one of the classes I remember in, in that business management course uh, outline was a class called Total Quality Management, TQM. Super dorky class. Uh, apologies to any guys out there that that's what you do for a living. Uh, but basically what they're trying to do for this whole course is try to teach you how to walk into a business and get them down to more or less zero mistakes, to hone in their process so that you eliminate uh, mistakes. And, and they hone in on something that's called Six Sigma. I'm going to get really in the weeds here, but Six Sigma is this whole process of uh, eliminating um, many of the mistakes in manufacturing and stuff like that. And uh, so the, the best way I've heard it explained for me is it's kind of like, you know, if I asked you to write for me, Joe, and you wrote a page and in that page you had one misspelled word. To me, that's that's doing pretty good, right? I, I'm a terrible, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I'm a terrible speller. Well, that would be three sigma. So six sigma, taking that even further, would be like if I asked you to write a whole library's worth of information. You walk into a library, and in that library, there is only one misspelled word in the entire library of writing that you've done. So we're talking about really getting into the weeds, into the details of what a business does, and what they try to teach you is how to help this business. Uh, address their underlying attitude towards their processes and just their underlying uh, process as a, as a whole to try to say what you're doing could be better if you attack your attitude and your processes and you can get rid of mistakes. Now, it's a totally like in the weeds, dorky class. I'm not going to lie. But it did bring to mind to me this week as I was thinking about just our attitude towards sin. Why uh, is it okay for businessmen to take this attitude towards whatever manufacturing, whatever processes they're doing? But we seem to have more of a flippant attitude at times towards our sin. What's the what's the rub there? Why do we have this difference? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just how we view sin. And I think the, uh, the analogy that often comes to my mind is uh, we view it like physical illness, um, you know, when we think about our illnesses, uh, there's a spectrum of disease. On one end, there's stuff we're just not worried about. Um, I had a cold a couple of weeks ago. I didn't lose any sleep over it. Now, if I would have had a cancer diagnosis, hmm. I would have been uh, really thinking differently about uh, what I could do to, to you know, change that problem. Um, and I think we carry that into our attitude with sin. And so there's, there's really big stuff. Um, you know, we know that like, you know, being addicted to substances or to pornography, that this can ruin our lives. Um, but then there's all kinds of stuff like envy that, you know, it's not really deadly. And so it can just kind of simmer in my heart for my whole life. And I, I just don't really feel like it's a problem. So, yeah, it's true. We do. We, we tend to see sin on some sort of scale a lot of times, right? 
that there's these smaller things, bigger things. And obviously our natural instinct is, well, let's attack the big stuff and get rid of that, make some progress there. But the little stuff, I, if I ever get around to it, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while. But this does, man. Uh, I will say, starting to think about sin this way, it expands the war, as you've talked about in your book. You know, surviving the trenches and killing sin. Like we've now taken this and expanded what guys are having to fight against. So this, honestly, it seems a little overwhelming to me. So how do we encourage guys in this to say the war is expanding, but you have to expand it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, I mean, we'll get to the encouragement. I mean, the encouragement is definitely in the gospels that we've got resources for this, but, you know, step one, like, like you said, is just uh, feeling the significance of the battle in its full contours. And, uh, and this is what, what always strikes me is, um, you know, going back to this idea of there being a spectrum of sin is mm -hmm. if you could just go to your Christian bookstore, um, if they even still exist, or if you're just perusing Amazon, you know, there are certain sins that you will find dozens of books that like take it super seriously. So again, the porn thing, like mm -hmm. I love Finally Free, a, a book by Heath Lambert, really useful. And in that book, he recommends in some instances, radical solutions. Like, you know, you might have to not use your car keys, but give them to a friend. Um, you know, you might have to cut out all your, your sort of like screens and, and internet. Um, and so for that sin, it's like, okay, you can find material that really focuses on the depth of the problem. But I'm pretty confident you'd be, you'd really struggle to find any book that really takes vanity, like the way we just care about superficial stuff and our appearance and all of that, and treats it with the same sort of radical strategies. And so, you know, it's not just that like this is a problem for the everyday man. Pastors don't really feel like it's that big of a deal. Christian writers don't really talk as if all sin needs to be dealt with. I mean, just, it's just the culture that we live within. And so this is why so much of what we're trying to do is, hey, guys, like the whole battle matters, not just a piece of it, but all of it. Yeah, it is interesting that we take that attitude towards sin when, when our Christian lives are such a serious thing for us and our identity that we have. It's just that you don't see that flippant attitude in any other craftsman of sorts. You know, you think about a guy that's a, a serious wood craftsman. He's not allowing anything to get, you know, the, the perfections that he's looking for and the type of wood that he chooses and the type of tools that he's choosing. Uh, I remember I had a dinner with some friends um, a few years ago, one of whom is a strength and conditioning coach for uh, American football players. So a real fit guy, like, super, super fit. And he's training guys to be at their peak physical condition. And we happen to be at a Mexican restaurant uh, eating. And so, of course, what do they do? They, they deliver the, the big old basket of chips and the salsa and everybody goes for it. Uh, but I noticed he wasn't eating the, the chips and salsa. I mean, they're free. Why wouldn't you eat free chips? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's excellent. It's so good. <laughs> but, you know, you, you ask him, why aren't you eating? And he said, Evan, those aren't tortilla chips. Those are triangles of death. <laughs> That's what he called them. And I've never been able to shake that. Every time I go to a Mexican restaurant now yeah. and I eat the chips and salsa, I don't see tortilla chips. I see what he calls triangles of death. But it's so funny because he has this identity as this. Look, everything matters in my fitness. Everything matters, even that triangle that's in front of me. That's a triangle of death because it's not going to get me 
where I actually need to go. It's going to drive me away. So he took even the small stuff that that was an eye opener for me, the people that are aiming for peak condition, the peak performance and what they want to do, the craftsman they want to be. They take even the small stuff super, super seriously. Well, I think that's that, you know, we can take everything we're talking about and tie it right into that, because when Paul says the wages of sin is death, he doesn't just mean, well, that's the wages of like pride or just Uh, anger. It's like, no, sin, like sin in the same way that that tortilla chip can be a threat to your health. Whatever we look at as the small sin is actually, it's going to produce death if we just permit it in our lives. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that, that picture life or death, right? That's what we're after. Um, yes in our spiritual lives. So that that leads us then into our rule of war for this week. And that's that guys have to have a zero tolerance attitude towards sin. Zero tolerance. That's a big deal. So outline what you mean for us when you say zero tolerance attitude towards sin. Well, let's tie it to another verse in Romans, because that's what we've been doing in each of these episodes. And uh, what I want to do this this time is tie it to a really important verse in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says something that if you've never heard this verse, honestly, it might really strike you. It, it might be something that you're, you wouldn't expect to, to find um, Paul saying, but he says this, this is a verse 13 of chapter eight. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Hmm. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Hmm. And you know, there's, there's several things that, that are so interesting about this verse. One is just like we were saying, Paul's saying there's, there's only two types of people. I mean, there, there's one type that is, you know, living toward death. Like that's, they're, they're moving toward not just physical death, but a spiritual death. And there's another type of person that, you know, life is already beginning to uh, be produced in them. And so, you know, the difference that he highlights right here is that the one that's headed toward death, he says, they're living according to the flesh. Hmm. And again, it's not just one or two sins. It's not just the worst of sins, that flesh being in a sense, the root of whatever sin we see in our life. And they're allowing that to dominate uh, their life. And then the other person uh, is rather, he says, putting to death the deeds of the body, that this is what the Holy Spirit enables us to actually do is to put to death these deeds. And I think one thing that's interesting about this verse is the way Paul specifies, okay, what are we called to put to death? And he says the deeds of the body. And what's interesting about that is in some Christian circles right now, we have this tendency to psychologize sin, um, that if you want to deal with sin, it's always a matter of the heart. And in a sense, that's true. Um, you know, Jesus says it's from the heart that all of these evil things come into our life. At the same time, we've got to realize that the body influences the heart and the heart influences the body. And so Paul here, part of what we're meant to put to death are whatever deeds, whatever we're doing in the world, embodying that we see as sinful and of the flesh, that needs to die. And it doesn't, he doesn't put a size on, and it's not if it's bigger than this, it's if we see the flesh producing deeds in our life, we need a zero tolerance attitude toward that deed, and we've got to put it to death, whatever it is. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that's heavy. And that's, uh, you can see, though, the truth in the, the life of the flesh, life of the spirit, and how live it according, according to how you choose to live that out 
um, how that can begin to have effects in your life. And it points to me towards just some issues of consistency that I've seen in my own life of, uh, I think that there are times, according to the crowd I'm with, that I have a zero tolerance attitude towards sin. Uh, but then in my, if I'm in other crowds, maybe I've got a little higher tolerance towards my own personal sin and what I'm willing to partake in or not willing uh, to let slide. Uh, that sometimes I view sin as situational. Like there's just, a, you know, in certain situations, I have a certain tolerance. In other situations, I have another tolerance. And I just kind of, it's really just molded to whatever crowd I'm with. I let other people define who and who I am and how I'm going to act as opposed to what you just said, live by the spirit. That's a totally different definition. That's a totally different way to handle life and to begin to say, oh, wow, no matter what situation, even so it's what you're saying more or less is live by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, even when you're tired, right? Even at the end of the day, when we're tired, even when you're with such and such crowd, even when you're doing, you know, whatever, there's, there's just no getting out of this, right? Yeah. And I think part of what you said that's so interesting is, um, and you're dead on, we're, we're so social in our nature that we tend to just be trying to conform to whatever the standard is of the group we're around. Um, yeah. Which means we're only trying to please the group that we're around. Whereas as Christians, that's not the standard. That's not what we're trying to, uh, to live for. I mean, the standard is God. We live in his presence. And mm-hmm. um, that's the zero tolerance attitude. It, it comes from the recognition that a holy God uh, cannot exist with sin. I mean, he, he hates sin. Um, it doesn't mean he hates us because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we love this God, if we want to be holy as he's holy, and if we're devoted to him, the things that, that in a sense are the opposite of who he is, we have to see those as the product of evil and death and everything that we want to cast aside in our life and see that God, it's his standard, it's his hmm. holiness. We're preparing to be in his heavenly presence. That's the whole purpose of the life that we're living right now uh, through the spirit in Christ. Yeah. Yes. And amen. And here's my struggle with that. Uh, so I hear that. And yet here's how I live, Joe, and help me out with this. I have a zero tolerance attitude toward other people's sin. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. sin, not so much, but man, I do. I like, I cannot stand your arrogance, man. You know, there's like people that you look at, I have a zero tolerance attitude toward other people's sin. It's so much easier uh, due to social nature for me to see other people's sin and, oh man, that's against God's nature. We shouldn't be like, I can point that out in others. Uh, but in myself, I let that slide so much easier. Uh, I don't have the same sort of attitude towards self as I do towards others. Zero tolerance for others, a little higher tolerance for myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the two things come to mind. One is uh, we've got to be so careful with this rule, because when we say zero tolerance, we're not saying that you should have a zero tolerance toward all the sin you see in other people's lives. So we're not called to go around and uh, point the finger at everybody and tell them what they're doing wrong. This is an attitude really toward your own heart, what ah. you see in your heart before God. That's However, uh, you know what you're pointing at? I mean, that that that's exactly where we need a zero tolerant attitude, right? Because that's the pride that's surfacing in our heart when we when we think we're better than other people. You know, rather than say, "Oh man, they should change," that's that moment when I've got to be self aware enough to realize what is it that makes me think that I've got my life sorted 
and they're the problem. I've got a big pride, uh, you know, uh, ambush happening in my heart right now that I've got to bring before the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for helping me identify that. (laughs) Uh, No, that's called to mind also just, uh, you know, that saying of, uh, you know, you fail in private long before you fail in public. And uh, just that, that, that idea that guys, uh, it is easier, I think, to fight the sins that uh, are publicly seen by others and to, to fight to be the kind of guy that, that seems to be living by the spirit in public. Uh, but if you really want to put up a battlefront, I think what this zero tolerance attitude is, look at your private life. Um, what is going on in private? Because that's eventually uh, going to feed in to your public life. And really, you know, again, God is the judge. He sees all. <laughs> so uh, we need to be concerned about what kind of men we are uh, posturing ourselves to be all the time. And so, yeah, man, we do. We fall in private long before we fall in public. Right. And I think I'd, I would I would tell guys, I mean, it's important to know that verse that I read in Romans 8, it comes after verse one, which is more known, but that idea that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hmm. So, you know, this isn't a call to constantly second guess if I'm a Christian or not. Um, It's just a call to recognize that once God's lifted the judgment, the condemnation, because uh, Christ took that for us, that's not a, then, okay, I can just now skate by and just be relaxed because my sin's not that big of a deal. Hmm. I mean, Christ didn't just save us, you know, from the penalty, but from the power. And so the whole, the whole calling that we have through the Holy Spirit is what we've been saying is uh, to grow in holiness. Yeah. And so it comes, it comes out of that realization that you know, my sin's been paid for, but there's not a license to sin. It's a reason to go ahead and grow into what I already am in Christ. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, why don't we take a minute to look at what this looks like played out in a particular sin? Uh, so we've tried to take every episode and just take a brief look. We're not trying to do an exhaustive, you know, uh, look at all these sins, but just stuff that's killing guys, stuff that's really uh, the everyday guy, ordinary Christian man is struggling with. Uh, so this week, let's look at anger and how do how do we help guys fight anger? So first, you know, kind of maybe give us a definition of anger. Okay, a- anger is a little bit complex because. Um you've got to think of a whole variety. Uh, so, you know, we thought in other weeks of things like, like lust and gluttony, and, and it's a little bit easier to think of that as one thing. Whereas with anger, you know, it, it fluctuates from mild irritation and frustration to, um, you know, losing your temper and outburst of wrath. But it's not just that there's different degrees, there's differences of depth as well. And so uh, we all know that we sometimes get mad, but there's some deep wounds that we may not feel anything for long stretches of time. And yet you come back into the presence of a person and all of a sudden you realize you're still angry over something. And so uh, the complexity of anger is that it's not exactly one thing. And so I think what we want to focus on right now is just what we might consider everyday anger, that anger that's just a child of pride. We're not talking about an anger out of a deep relational wound. Um, But the way I would describe it is uh, anger is this desire to appoint myself as judge, jury, and prosecutor. Mm. So uh, when I'm in a relationship, let's say I'm with my wife and uh, we've got a disagreement. When I get angry, I may not realize it, but right there, if I could, you know, and I'm in the UK, they put wigs on if they're, they're judges. You know, I could put a wig on and sit up in a judgment seat 
And uh, what I want to do in that moment is I want to bring all the evidence against her. I'm the prosecutor. Um, I'm the judge. I want to decide how we're going to run this courtroom. And I'm also the jury. I'm going to decide who's guilty, who's innocent. Now, I don't have to tell you, Evan, that's not a fair trial. So, um, but that's what anger is. It's when we set it ourselves up so we can be self-righteous and look down at somebody else. Oh, man. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. But here's OK. So here's my pushback. Joe, somebody has to do it. Right. We can't just let, let it slide. Something goes wrong. Like somebody's got to be judge, jury, prosecutor. Like, I don't I, uh, don't you find yourself in those situations where you're like, somebody has to say something and I'm going to be that guy. Well, th- this is where, uh, again, the complexity of anger, um, not all anger is sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. for example, I'm a dad, your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are moments that our kids do something that's just flagrantly disrespectful toward their mom. Yeah. Now, in that moment, I shouldn't lose my temper, but neither should I act like that's unimportant. Like there is a kind of controlled anger in that moment that communicates that's a serious thing that's not okay. And and I can Mm -hmm. do that because God's given me a role as long as it's done with self-control and with patience at the same time. So um, but a lot of time with anger, we're not in that position um, where God's given us any special role. And uh, I think this is where one of the key things is we talk about, well, what do you do with your anger is just if you go back to that jury judge and Mm -hmm. a prosecutor image is first with the judge. Jesus is clear in the New Testament, so clear. He's the judge. We're not the judge. So whenever we find ourselves creeping up into that judgment seat, um, first thing we got to do is realize I have no right to be there. And I've got to put my tail between my legs and get back down, you know, to a level playing field with whoever I'm talking to. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's uh, I uh, I would love to play the part of the judge, prosecutor, jury and all of that in every scenario. But you're right. Uh, as Christians, we have that worldview for sure. Ultimately, God is the judge. Um, what about the jury aspect, though? Like you, you kind of say, well, you know, I want to make the decision of what's right and wrong here. Uh, what can that look like for the everyday guy? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, what do we try to do with juries? We try to bring in people who are relatively impartial uh, insofar as they can be. And that's exactly what we need to do when we find ourselves really struggling with anger in a relationship is rather than trusting ourselves to be the jury, mm-hmm. bring in other people, you know, bring in people um, who are outside. And, you know, we've talked a lot about spiritual friends, but if, if I relay my argument with my wife to my spiritual friend, And if he's a legitimate spiritual friend or with a mentor, they're going to have a totally different point of view. And it's not just going to be biased. They're not going to be saying, you know, Joe, you're, you must be in the right. They're going to say, I don't think you heard what she just said, or I don't, from what you said about the circumstances that gave rise to this, you're missing something critical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You need that friend to step in sometimes or that outside source step in sometimes and just give the plain facts of, Hey, um, you know, the Hulk makes a really good character for your kids to look up to. Like they love watching the Hulk, but he makes a terrible dad. Like you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Stop being that guy. You know, you, you seem to be exploding and turning into a different person. Let me step back and say, look at this and say, hold on. Uh, your kids don't want to grow up and say, yeah, my dad was, was that guy. Uh, that's that I think is part of the danger uh, sometimes of anger. And if we let anger linger, and if anger becomes normal for us, 
uh, normalized anger and lingering anger turns to division. It turns to yeah. rage. It turns, you know, into all nothing good, really, right? And that's where I think this zero tolerance attitude has to come in at some point and say, the the standard in my home or the standard in my relationships can't be a a flash of anger at yeah. everything. Uh, because if that becomes the standard, then eventually the standard in my home is going to be grudges, bitterness, division, you know, rage. That that's going to come along with it. Yeah, and that's where going back, we talked about the the law of habit, uh, you know, a couple of episodes ago. And if you practice anger, you'll get better at it. <laughs> um, but the opposite is true as well. If we practice forgiveness, which Jesus says. Again and again, it's right there after the Lord's Prayer, uh, comes up in Paul's epistles again and again. But as a community of Christians, we're defined by forgiveness and our willingness to show it. And so we've got to practice the opposite of that anger, which is if it's a moment where we've been seriously offended, like if it is somebody else's fault, rather than uh, feeding, uh, accepting, and just uh, you know prolonging the anger, saying, hey, I forgive that person, even though I'm acknowledging there was a fault as Jesus has done for me, as the father has done for me, I'm going to let it go. And I'm not going to judge them by that fault. That's great. Well, that's, uh, that's all I've got for this episode, unless you have anything else. But uh, I do want to point guys towards, look, this is one small piece of what we see as a whole battle plan towards fighting sin. Uh, we've said it time and time again, and I want to continue to say it. this is not going to happen overnight. If you're dealing with anger, maybe deep-seated anger, maybe just everyday anger, if you're dealing with lust, whatever sin it is that seems to be a battle for you, for us to just say have a zero-tolerance attitude isn't going to solve your problem overnight. This is one piece of a bigger bigger puzzle here of, guys, we got deep work to do, but the key is there. We got work to do, so let's do it. Let's go to battle. Don't be uh, sitting on the sidelines when it comes to fighting sin. Uh, get in the trenches and get brothers around you that are going to fight in the trenches as well. These are the kind of men that we want to be. We don't ignore the sin in our lives. We face it. We have zero tolerance attitudes. That's the community we build up. Uh, so if you're looking for more resources on how to help you with that, uh, we've got a book, Surviving the Trenches. Uh, uh, we've got discussion guide and group challenge uh, for groups of men uh, that helps you uh, face this as well. So y'all can check that out at survivingthetrenches.men. And then we'll come back next week and we'll talk about another rule of war.